Good morning, Risen Hope. It is a joy to be with you. Uh, it's a joy to be with you today for a number of different reasons. Um, uh, joy to witness uh, Bill's installation as a deacon, because it was 17 years ago, actually, that I joined pastor- the pastoral team over at Covenant Fellowship, and one of my very first things as a pastor there was to lead a missions trip down to Middletown, Delaware, and Bill was a part of that. Uh, and so he has been serving the body of Christ faithfully for many, many years. Bill is a sweet thing to, to be here today to see that, uh, praising God for his grace on your life. Uh, it's also good to be here because two weeks ago we celebrated 40 years of ministry. This man's been doing ministry longer than I've been alive, uh, which is a remarkable thing, and he has been faithful uh, day after day after day. Dad, I love you, and uh, anytime I can uh, visit your church and, and, and minister in this way is a privilege and joy. Mom, I love you too. Friends, if you have your Bibles, please open them now to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you're not familiar with the book of Corinthians, it's broken into four or five sec- sections. The, the first section of 1 Corinthians is very clearly about unity within the church. Unity within the church. And today, Paul is going to build our unity by reminding us of our strong foundation. The title for today's sermon is, How Firm a Foundation. Let's begin by reading 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. Paul says, What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. 
For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present, or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Amen. May God bless the preaching of His Word this morning. So when Ashley and I bought our current house, we knew immediately that the deck on the back of the house was going to be an issue. When we first bought the house, we knew that it was First of all, not a very attractive deck. We knew that it didn't seem particularly well built, and we knew that it would likely need to be replaced. But I don't think that we knew how badly it needed to be replaced. At first, we just knew that it it just didn't look right. Something was off. We could see that it was a little crooked in certain parts. Certain boards were loose. But as time went by, the deck literally began to fall apart. The, the boards on the deck looked more like waves than they did straight planks. Parts of the deck were lower to the ground than others. The, the whole middle section of the deck literally began to cave in. And when our little five-pound dog walked across it, it felt like an earthquake was happening. And so Ashley and I just recently made the decision to replace the deck. And so two Mondays ago, we had a family project to tear out the old deck. And we just started prying up one board at a time. And the more boards we pulled up, the worse it all became underneath. Every board of the frame was rotted or broken in some way. A friend and I had a sawzall, and we were excited to use the sawzall on the wood, but we didn't even need it. You put a foot on one of the boards, and it would just fall apart or fall directly off. But friends, it wasn't just that the the deck was old. It became very clear very quickly that the deck was built wrong. The foundation was bad. There were not enough footers in the ground. The foundation was not strong enough, and so parts of the deck had begun to sink and boards had begun to crack. One part of the foundation literally was only two inches into the ground. I just pulled it out with my bare hands. And as we deconstructed this deck, every piece, one at a time, I couldn't help but think about how important a strong foundation is. Without a strong foundation, bad things will always happen. Things might look okay at first, but friends, if your foundation is weak, things will inevitably go wrong. And so church, this leads to the question... What is the foundation of your life? And it leads to the question within the context of this, these verses, what is the foundation of your life together as a church family? What foundation do we stand on? Is it the right foundation? Is it a faulty foundation? Is it rotting or crooked or is it firm and secure? And friends, those are the exact questions that Paul wants us to ask. Paul, in chapters 1 and 2, has been exhorting us to be united together. And he wants us now to consider how our foundation together will lead us towards growth in unity together. Friends, not just that, 
But considering our foundation is also a great way to encourage each one of us in our personal faith journeys as well. I don't know if you are familiar with this or not, but there is a lot of deconstructing going on in the church today. Many, many Christians, particularly my age and younger, are in the process of deconstructing their faith. They're looking at the deck of their Christian lives and they're saying, huh, something's wrong with this. Something seems crooked. Something seems off. Something needs to be replaced. And so let me, they say, deconstruct my faith and build it back in a better way. And friends, that is not inherently bad at all. Removing poor doctrine from our lives, removing poor application of doctrine in our lives is a very good thing. But friends, it is bad when in the midst of our deconstructing, we forget what our foundation is and we build back in a faulty way. And so what Paul says here is of immense value to our personal lives and to your life together as a church family. The main idea for our message today is simply this. Our foundation is strong, so let us stand firm together and boast in God. Our foundation is strong, so let us stand firm together and boast in God. We have four points this morning. Number one, the architect. That's verses 5 to 9. Number two, the foundation. That's verses 10 and 11. Number three, the structure. That's verses 12 to 17. And then number four, the call to boast. That's verses 18 to 23. Let's begin with the first point. Number one, the architect. So Paul is, is continuing in this chapter to call us as a church to unity together. That's what he's done in chapters one and two. And that's what we see in verses one and four, one to four as well. And now, Beginning in verse 5, Paul continues this thought, this, this burden for unity, but he does so by, by highlighting how crazy it is to have factions within the church based on being loyal to mere men within the church. Okay, so look at verse 5. It says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Paul asks a, a humble and a not-so-flattering question about himself and Apollos. He says, what is Apollos? What is Paul? What, what even are we, he says. And then he answers his own question. Servants through whom you believed. Now, now it's not that, that Paul and Apollos are unimportant. God used Paul and Apollos to lead them towards belief and towards salvation. Listen, leadership within the church is very important according to God's Word. But all leaders, even apostolic pastors like Paul himself, what are they ultimately? Servants. Risen Hope, how different is this view of pastoral ministry than what we see in the American church today? Today, pastors are seen as superstars and as celebrities. Pastors seek to amass a, a following of Christians who are loyal to them as if they are what their, their Christian followers need most. Pastors so often are become the architects of the church and they build their people into themselves. But, but Paul says, no, don't do that. Verses 6 to 7, Paul says, I planted, yeah, I did gospel ministry. Apollos watered what I did. He did gospel ministry too. But God gave the growth. 
And then look at the next verse. He says, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. Again, again, it's not that Paul and Apollos are, are unimportant. Someone needs to plant the seeds of the gospel in our lives. And someone needs to water the church and, and take it on to maturity together. The church needs to be discipled. Leadership is important. So it's not that we should ignore our leaders within the church. But Paul says, in comparison to God, what really are they? But Paul's saying that, that if we're going to be united together, we must see how it is God alone who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the architect and He is the foreman of this work of salvation. God is the one who began to build your life, Christian. He is the one who today is actively building your life, Christian. And He is the one that will bring this building project to completion. He says, he said, Paul and Apollos, they're great. Don't hate on us. But apart from God's grace, we're nothing. Apart from God's grace, Paul's a, a persecutor of the church, not a builder of the church. Risen Hope, my dad's a great pastor. Alex and Rick, they are great pastors, and you should follow their godly leadership. But they're nothing compared to God himself. Amen? And so how crazy of the Corinthian Christians to think that, that they should be loyal to mere men rather than to Jesus himself. Paul says it makes no sense. You know what it's like? It's like when you're at work and someone else gets the credit for the work that you did. Isn't that annoying? <laughs> so you are an expert in your field and your company has asked you to work on a big project and so you use all of your expertise, all of your years of education and training. You spend weekends for, for three months to get the job done. You're made for this work and you're good at it. And then the day of the presentation finally arrives and you're ready. You're up early, you're dressed, you're ready to go. You grab your Starbucks, you head into work. And as you're walking into the office, you see the, the, the new receptionist that the company hired just last week. And you say to him, hey, can you print out these reports for me and bring them in when they're ready? And then you walk into the conference room and everybody's getting ready and you're feeling ready to go. But then a moment later... The receptionist comes walking in and he starts handing out the reports. And what happens? Everybody in the room starts turning and looking to him as if he made the report. They start asking him questions. They start, start having him field the questions. They sit him at the head of the table and they give him all of the credit. And they're so impressed with your work that they give him a promotion. Church, that doesn't make sense. And neither does loyalty to any man in the church either. We should love and honor and eagerly follow godly pastors in the church, but we must not be more loyal to them than we are to God himself. We must not give them the credit that only God deserves. He is the architect, he is the designer, and he is the ultimate builder. And friends, listen, what Paul is saying here should really be immensely encouraging to you today because these verses here, these verses remind us that when when church leaders have failed us, when the body of Christ has not been what it should be, when denominations have gone astray, when pastors abuse their position and use their power to do harm, when pastors are more like wolves than they are shepherds, we don't need to go and deconstruct our entire faith. Why? Because our faith is not in those men. It's in God. 
Our faith is not in any specific local church or in any group of Christians. He is the architect. And so even if areas of our faith need to be deconstructed, we can know that He's still going to give the growth when our foundation is set in Him. And that brings us to our second point. Point number two, the foundation. Verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Listen, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul Paul says that he had come to them a a few years before this and he had skillfully and wisely laid a foundation in their midst. And then other people like Apollos and Peter had come along and they had wisely and skillfully built on that foundation. But, but, But even though Paul talks about his and their skillful work in this, the focus of these verses is not on Paul. It's not on Apollos. And it's not on Peter. Look at verse 11. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Friends, Paul is emphasizing the the clarity that we should have within the local church. If we are a Christian church, then the foundation of our lives is Jesus and His work on the cross and His resurrection from the dead. That is what we stand on at all times. And we must not allow anything else to become our foundation. Amen? We, we cannot allow ourselves like the Corinthians to find our footing in certain leaders. We cannot allow ourselves like the Corinthians to have pet theologies be the foundation that we stand on. We cannot, like the Corinthians, allow our Christian liberties to be our confidence in life. We cannot, like the Corinthians, think some expression of spiritual gifts is our greatest foundation in life. Or our tolerance of sin is our greatest foundation in life. No, none of those things will support us. And what Paul is saying here is that if we are standing on anything other than Jesus, we're not even a church. We're not even a church. The foundation determines the structure. And if the structure is a New Testament church, then the foundation is always Jesus. Listen, the foundation cannot be Jesus and Reformed theology. It won't work. The foundation cannot be Jesus and doctrines of prosperity. It won't work. The foundation cannot be Jesus and social justice issues. As important as they are, it won't work. Our foundation must be only Jesus. You know, back in 2011, I took a a missions trip to the nation of Haiti. I led some students and their their parents, and we were helping with the disaster relief from the, the, the earthquake that happened in 2010 that brought catastrophic destruction to the entire nation. And we went to contribute our help and our assistance. And while we were there, we learned something very interesting. We learned that the destruction was so bad because the buildings had all been built with poor concrete. Because of the poverty, many construction workers tried to stretch the concrete by putting in too much water, by putting in too much sand. And so when that nation was shook, it was not strong enough and it all came tumbling down. 
Church, we cannot mix anything with the gospel to be our foundation. And so church, can I preach the gospel to you this morning, please? Can I remind you this morning of what our foundation is and who it is that we're standing on? Can I remind you of Jesus and what He's done for us? Risen Hope, once we were not saved by His grace. Do you remember that day? Once you and I, we were enemies of God. Do you remember that day? There was a day when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, living in our pride and self-sufficiency. We were idolaters. Do you remember that day this morning? Once you and I, like idiots, we worshiped the created world rather than the creator of the world. We had scales over our eyes. Our hearts were stone cold. Do you remember that day? This is who we were. And we would have perished in that place. We were all deserving of God's just judgment and we should have died. But God... But God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son. But God in His rich mercy made us alive together with Christ so that we might rise to life. Not because of any eloquence in us. Not because of any wise leader among us. But only because of His grace and His mercy. Listen, God chose to delight in you rather than to destroy you. And He should have destroyed you. He chose to delight in you rather than to destroy you. And he did so only through Jesus. Jesus' body was destroyed so that your body might rise from death to life. Only Jesus. Jesus absorbed the wrath that you deserved. He took it all. He bore your shame. In our place condemned He stood. He sealed our pardon with His blood. Hallelujah! What a Savior! My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. How firm a foundation is laid for our souls in His excellent Word. Listen, the soul, the soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, the soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, He will not, He will not desert to His foes. That soul... Though all hell should endeavor to shake, he'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. Risen hope. You, you take Jesus out of the picture and it's like removing the foundation from this building and we all crumble down into a pile of sin and condemnation and shame together. Jesus is who we stand on together. Amen. And friends, this has direct implications for those who want to deconstruct their faith. So many people are looking at their experience of Christianity and they're saying, yeah, something is wrong here. This is not the same Christianity that I see in the pages of the New Testament. A lot of people are looking at their faith and they're seeing that their faith is marked by a lot of poor building materials, things that are not of God, and so that they, they think that they need to deconstruct their faith. And again, it may be it may be that deconstructing some of the expressions of our faith is good. We might need to deconstruct certain practical applications of the gospel which have been distorted. We may need to do that, and we should walk through that together all the time. But we must not deconstruct our faith to the point that we lose the foundation of our faith. 
We must not deconstruct to the point where we change who our Jesus is or what he says about us or what he says we need. We must not deconstruct him to the point of deconstructing ourselves into oblivion. Let's tear down every area that we have built poorly over the centuries. Let's get rid of every wrong expression of power in the local church. Let's deal with abuse and let's deal with trauma. Let's get rid of legalism. Let's get rid of racism. Let's pry up every plank of self-righteousness that exists. Let's do all of that, but let's not lose the gospel. If you feel like you need to ask hard questions about your faith or about your church experience, please, Please do so, and do so as a family, but do so with your Bible open and your eyes fixed on Jesus the whole time. And as you do that, you will be built into Jesus as God intends. And that brings us to our third point, point number three, the structure. In verse 12, Paul Paul begins to talk about the materials that we use to to build, and he begins to talk about the actual structure that is, is being built on the foundation. Why? Well, because how we build matters. A, a foundation by itself looks pretty terrible, and a foundation with poor construction on top of it looks even worse. You know, at the Shorey home, we have not built our new deck yet. We've removed the old one, but we haven't started building the new one. The new one, the foundation will be laid tomorrow. But how silly would it be if after that brand new strong foundation is laid, we go over to the scrap pile and take all the rotting wood and all of the warped boards and say, let's build a new deck with all of this. That'd be dumb. A strong foundation should be built upon with strong material. And that's what Paul says next. Look at verse 12. It says, Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And friends, even though these verses have some implications for our lives individually, these verses have direct and primary application for how we build as local churches. These verses have to do with local church ministry. And, and here's what Paul is saying. Listen, he's saying that you can have a local church that starts in the right place. You can have a local church that starts with its foundation as Jesus, and that's great. But that same church can begin to do ministry. They can begin to build on the foundation with very poor, very bad materials. Do you see the list of materials that he says that we can build with? Paul first says that it's possible to build the church with gold, silver, precious stones. Now, biblically, those are all things that remind us of the temple that God dwelt in in the Old Testament. The, the Old Testament temple had a lot of gold and a lot of silver and a lot of precious stones because those materials were very valuable, they were very beautiful, and they would last. When, when tested by fire, those materials are refined, not destroyed. But then Paul also says 
that it's possible to build a church with wood, hay, and straw. Those are things of much lesser value. Those are temporary things. Wood, hay, and straw do not survive the test of fire. No, they are quickly consumed by it. But Paul says, Paul says it's possible to build a church with all of those things. Risen Hope, these verses terrify me. These verses terrify me as a pastor. They terrify me because things being burned up, it's not usually a good thing. And it's terrifying to me because it's not perfectly clear in verses 14 and 15 whether what is being burned up is just the material used to build up the people of God within the church or whether it is the people of God themselves being burned up. And I think it's intentionally ambiguous by Paul. Verse 13 talks about how our work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. When the word day, like it is here, is capitalized, it's speaking of the final day, the day of judgment. So listen, it could be that how we build on the foundation matters because on the final day, God will test whether the people in the church are truly Christian or not. And if we have built poorly, some of the people within the church will be shown to not be truly Christians and they will be burned up by God's just judgment. Or it could be that how we build on the foundation matters because lesser materials will simply bring about lesser fruitfulness in ministry and in all of the work that you all are putting your hands to here. I'm not sure exactly what he means, but here's what we know. How we build matters. How we build matters. And Risen Hope, this is why. This is why we keep saying that we must remain faithful to the Gospel. This is why we care about which songs that we sing on Sunday morning. Because listen, you can be built on the foundation of Jesus and then go and sing lots of songs that are really more about you than they are about Jesus. And that's to build with wood, hay, and straw. You can build on the foundation of Jesus, but then use your preaching to bring in worldly psychology and and, and self-help programs. That's to build with wood, hay, and straw. You can be built on the foundation of the gospel and then lead the church away from sound theology and towards secular psychology or towards the prosperity gospel. And listen, pastors are wise enough, pastors are skillful enough to do it in a way that's veiled by the gospel, that maybe smells like the gospel, but that's still to build with wood, hay, and straw. And those things will be burned up. Paul says that if we build in that way, he says you may still be saved, We still may be Christian because of our faith in Jesus, and that's our foundation. But the fruitfulness and the strength and the eternal value of our local church will be far, far less. So many churches today are Christian, and they they believe in Jesus, but they are building with lesser materials. Oh, Lord, Lord, help us. Lord, help Risen Hope to build with the gospel and only with the gospel. Father, we need your help in this. Friends, this is, why, this is why when we talk about parenting, we talk about the gospel first and then the implications of the gospel on our parenting. This is why when we talk about our vocation or our career or our ambition in life, we talk about the gospel and its implication on those things. 
This is why when we counsel someone through, through life, sorrow, and pain, and agony, we don't just put our arms around them and say, hey, we're here for you. We open up God's Word and we look at Jesus together. This is why when we talk about ethnic unity and harmony, we must not do it from the standpoint of secular ideologies, but from the strong and unifying foundation of the gospel. Because we can claim to love Jesus. He may even be our foundation, but then as Paul says here, we can build our lives with a whole lot of warped and rotting boards that will not support our life and ministry, and that's dangerous. It may be that your salvation is secure. It may be that on the final day you will be saved, but only, oh, only as through fire, only by the skin of your teeth, with very little gospel fruit to show. Church, we do not want to arrive on the final day as local churches and have Jesus say, yes, come in. Your faith was in Jesus, but man, your local church bore a, a little fruit. Your local church seemed really more preoccupied with legalistic mentalities and ideas, or your church really valued and debated secondary things more than Christ and Him crucified. You should have been delighting in the gospel and being on mission together, but you found your identity in all of these secondary things. Oh Lord, please keep us from that day. Let us build today, let us build tomorrow, let us build for generations together with the gospel and only the gospel. Lord, help us to boast in Jesus. Point number four, the call to boast together. Oh, we must remember the context for these verses. Paul is arguing for, for unity, and he's seeking to undermine the, the factions and the divisions within the church, and he does so very specifically by reminding us of who we are together. Who we are together. Look at verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. See, these verses are often interpreted as if Paul is saying that our own individual bodies are the temple of God. And that, that's true. That's a true statement. Paul actually says that exact thing later on in chapter 7. But that is not a right interpretation of these verses. When Paul says, do you not know that you are God's temple, who is he speaking to? He's not speaking to individuals. He's speaking to the whole church. And his issue is unity. He's reminding us that the church is holy because as imperfect and as oftentimes as weak as it is it is holy because it is where God has chosen to reside he has chosen local congregations like Redeemer Fellowship and Risen Hope and Covenant Fellowship and hundreds and thousands more than that to be his special dwelling place he lives among his people and just like with the Old Testament temple, the local church, and our unity within the local church is therefore sacred. Listen, it says, if anyone destroys God's temple, and in context, that means if anyone sows division within the church, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy. We are holy together. We are where God resides when we are together. 
And so Paul is highlighting the importance of this building project. Listen, this is not a a side project being done in our spare time or in God's spare time. No, this is the project of salvation. Local churches and the planting of new local churches and our unity together is how God will accomplish His purposes throughout the world. And so this is not something that we use recycled materials for. No, we must give our best to this because there is eternal value in this place, risen hope. But Paul says that it's so easy to forget this. It's so easy to forget this and to do damage to the local church. Look at verse 18. It says, Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. As Paul talks about unity in the church and how leaders of the church seek to build the church, he says, don't be deceived. Friends, don't fall into the thinking that the priorities of the world are the same as the priorities of the church. No, the priorities of the world are what defile the bride of Christ. But Paul's language here is supposed to remind us of what he said in chapters 1 and 2, how the wisdom of God is foolishness to the world and how this foolishness of God to the world, the cross of Christ, is absolutely central to who we are. Paul is wanting us to become fools in the eyes of the world together. To renounce worldly wisdom and worldly ideologies. To celebrate the foolishness of the cross so that we might stand firm together. He says, do not be deceived. Don't, don't blend the corporate world in with the body of Christ. It doesn't work. They can't mix. Don't, don't blend the hierarchical way of thinking in our world with, and the power structures of this world into the body of Christ. Don't blend them. They, they can't mix. Don't blend worldly philosophies with the gospel. They can't go together. Look at verses 19 and 20. He says, God catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. The, the wisdom of this world is futile. And to build with worldly wisdom is to build on the foundation with old and rotten building materials. And so he says in verse 21, look at it. He says, so let no one boast in men. Don't boast in mere humanity. Don't boast in worldly standards of success. Risen hope, boast in God and boast in God together. And then he gives us every reason to do so. Look at verse 21. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ and Christ is God's. Don't boast in men or the things of men because when your identity is in those things, you will end up divided from each other. But he says that the banner over all things is Christ. And Risen Hope, when Jesus is the banner over our lives, we will stand united together. Because listen, when we have a gifted pastor or leader, we will boast in God who gave them to us. When we prosper in life, or when we suffer in death, we will boast because God sustains us. 
When we are content in the present or apprehensive about the future, we will boast in God and experience His peace because we know that He is Lord over it all. Church, we have a very strong foundation. And so let us stand firm together and boast in God. Let me pray. Father, thank You for Your unifying grace, which is Your Son, Christ. Thank you that he is the foundation. May you keep this local church unified around him and only him, God. We need your preserving miraculous grace to do this because the schemes of the devil and the wisdom of this world often want to creep in. But Lord, keep us from that and keep us on the foundation, which is Christ. And we pray all these things in his name alone. Amen.